What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you know what that intro music means, I hope. I'm Ben. And I'm Scott. And today we have a very special episode of Car Stuff. Now, we often say that we're excited at the beginning of a show, right, Scott? Yeah, we do, because we you know, genuinely are excited about the topics that we cover, because we do a lot of fun stuff here. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've, uh, we've delved into the strange, weird depths of various car company histories. We've come up with a few, we like to think, helpful tips for everyday driving, We've we've seen a lot of a lot of neat stuff, but this is uh this is a first for us. Oh, it is. Yeah, that's right. We're going to have a special guest on today's show, and it's a, you know it's an interview that we recorded previously. Um, it's part of a uh, I guess a, a push for the new movie Furious Seven, right? Which is the official name for the seventh film in the Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah, and it's coming out tomorrow. So if you're listening to this now, you know when, when it's launched, when it's uh when it's published, yeah. It, this movie comes out tomorrow, April 3rd, on Friday. Uh-huh. Go out and see it. And we've been watching the trailers for a little while, you know, when they're when they're dropping out of the plane and everything. Oh, so yeah. I can't wait to see one of our uh, coworkers, too, uh, who's appeared on our show before, Christian. He's a huge Fast and Furious fan. Oh, yeah, he yeah. is, definitely. He talks about it all the time. In fact, I, I'm... I'm I'm guessing that he's going to go on opening day to see this film. Oh, yeah. I, I got a... Um, I got a Fast and Furious text from him when he said, what, you're interviewing people and you didn't tell me? <laughs> oh, yeah, we probably should have brought him in on this one. Oh, I, yeah. I, I didn't even think about that. We're Sorry. still friends, though. But, yeah, yeah. So the person we're talking about is the picture car coordinator for the Fast and Furious franchise. His name is Dennis McCarthy, and I wager that you have seen his work before, even if you didn't know. You've seen it before. Oh, yeah, he's worked on five of these films. He started in, uh, you know... In 2006, with the Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, he worked on Fast and Furious in 2009, Fast Five in 2011, Fast and Furious Six in 2013, and now he's worked on Furious Seven. 
And not only that, I mean, he's worked on several other films on uh, some television shows. Right. Um, but what this guy does, I mean, so people probably don't know what a picture car coordinator does. What he does is he he translates um, what the character would be like in real life to mm-hmm. the automobile. So, like, you know, it makes a he makes a um, a logical choice for that character to drive. Like he chooses all the cars that you see in these films. Right. And doing so, he assumes the mindset of the character. So not, I, I guess it's a little philosophical at some point, but not what would I think this guy would drive, but uh, the actual truth, what would this, what would Dom pick for his car in Fast and Furious yeah. 5? How is that different from Furious 7, etc.? How is his choice of car different from, say, what, what Brian would choose? Right. So it, he makes... Decisions like that, but he goes way farther than this because he he runs a fabrication shop mm-hmm. and a facility that provides all of the cars for the the whole film. I mean, every car that you see in the film. So, so we had a chance to talk with him to discuss um, stuff that we might find exciting, stuff that our audience would find um, intriguing about his job. Because I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, his job is a dream job for some. Oh, yeah. Even though we know that it comes with a, a high amount of stress. Yes, super demanding, too. Oh, definitely, definitely. There's a, a lot of uh, time constraints put on him. Um, and just, uh, you know, the coordination of all this, it's got to be just uh, mind-numbing. I mean, how much goes on? Right. So we'll do we'll do some of this stuff for the interview. And we might, we might go into uh, a couple of different areas between these questions, you know? Yeah, let's yeah. Uh, have a couple little conversations, you and I. Um, of stuff that he talks about that maybe we want to talk a little bit more in depth about because there's a little bit of side info here and there. But um, Dennis was just it was an outstanding person to interview. It was, it was great to talk with. Him. Oh, he's a super cool guy. Yeah, he yeah. really is. He really is. So we, we let off the interview with uh, with asking him how he goes about making, you know, those those vehicle choices and, and how he, you know, pairs that with a character's personality. I mean, for instance, with Dom, you can, I could go back and look at past films. You get an idea from that, obviously. Uh you know, like for instance, the very first movie, you know, Don was driving, you know, Hondas and RX-7s and, you know, the end of the film, he gets in his dad's charger and pulls out of the garage. And I think for me, it was like, okay, well, you can't, once once you got out of that car, you can't go back to a, you know, to a compact, you know, import car. Um, and it kind of set the tone because obviously, you know, his dad was clearly a Mopar guy. So, you know, like most kids, you know, they'll kind of follow in their dad's footsteps as far as uh, makes the cars frequently. And, uh so I've just kind of stayed with that theme ever since, you know, uh, you know, muscle cars, big horsepower, you know, things that are just brutally fast and, you know, basically make a statement when you see them. Uh, and then you have a character like, uh, you know, like Brian played by Paul Walker, who, you know, was just seemed more like an import guy to me and in real life was an import guy. So, uh, you know, when, the character Brian gets in the uh, the GTR. There's like a little intro movie before Too Fast, Too Furious, where they kind of connect the two films together. Uh, it just seemed like a perfect fit, and so we've kind of stuck with that theme, you know, ever since. But as the characters evolve and grow, we try to, you know, make the appropriate changes with the vehicle, or when their situation changes. For instance, uh, you know, pulling into Rio, he and Mia were, you know, on their last dime, and obviously this car isn't someone that. You know, we drove by someone on the last nine, but it fit the part perfectly, which was the old vintage uh, Nissan Skyline. So, uh, you know, it's just there's a lot of factors, character, environment, situation, script. But uh, that's my goal is to get the perfect car, you know, for each character every time. And when you think about it, that's a lot of stuff to do with the, with these characters, because, of course, in this franchise, the 
the car is as much the character as the the actor. Absolutely, and that's why he makes you know some some key decisions about the vehicles that you know the the stars are going to drive. But then I said, well, I was curious about this. Okay, yeah. so so let's say you have a scene where there's a parking lot, or you have a scene where it's a street scene, and there's a lot of background happening there. Sure, all those yeah. cars are happening. So so you know the cars that the the uh, the stars are driving, we'll call those the star cars. And I was wondering, you know. Does he provide all the cars, you know, like every single car in the in the film, or is it just the star cars? Every single vehicle. If you see a, uh, you know, a garbage truck, you know, in the background. If you see a, a semi or a, you know, an old Yugo, we 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 source that car as well. So every single car. Yeah, that's incredible, isn't it? When you think right. about the background of these films, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, let's say that you got just a scene. It could be just any kind of corner. You know, someone talking on a street corner. Yeah. Every single car that you see in that scene, background, you know, all the way down the block, that's something that he has to bring to that to that set to be to be shot that day. I mean, he has to plan all that out and understand and and think about what would be on that typical city street at that time of day in that neighborhood in right. that situation. Uh, like parked on the street during a car chase in traffic, you yeah. know. Uh, so the the next question, of course, immediately you have to ask, right? Uh, how many cars is that? Yeah, right? yeah. And what happens to them? Are they, are they destroyed? I mean, uh, you know, which kind of leads into the next thing is that, you know, he, he runs this fabrication shop. And uh, so he does a lot of fabrication, especially for these films. And I wanted to know what was the most challenging part of that, you know, in addition to how many cars he has to bring. But what's the most challenging part of, of running this fab shop and, and bringing all these products to the to the set? I mean, is it the... Uh, is the vehicles themselves? Is it obtaining the vehicles? It is the is it the time constraints? I just didn't know what it was. So here's what he had to say. You know, for whatever reason, it seems like each movie we have less time to build these vehicles than we did on the past. And uh, you know, like I said in this case, we have basically a three month window to get this stuff all together. And for that off road sequence, which obviously obviously required you know extensive fabrication to make those cars do what they had to do. Um, we were right down on the wire, you know, cars were being loaded on the trailers with wet paint and literally, you know, I was putting two drivers in a, in a truck and a, you know, to haul them out to Colorado driving nonstop and they would show up the morning of, and, you know, the guys would give them a quick once over out there on set and, you know, they'd be working. So, um, yeah, like in my shop, if we built a race car for somebody, we might spend six months to a year to build one car on a fast and furious film. We'll build, you know, the equivalent of, you know, 50 race cars in, you know, less than three months. Fifty race cars in three months. You heard that right. Yeah, that's that's essentially what he's doing. I mean, that's a, that's an incredible build schedule, and I don't know how many people he employs at that shop, but it must be completely, you know, just it must just be mayhem mm-hmm. for for months at a time. And you guys also talked about uh, how this process gets started. You know, yeah, like uh, where where do they all come from? Like where do the ideas come from? Is it just him, or is it you know a collaboration of people? So that's what he discussed next. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging... 
those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. You know, it basically starts with a script, and then there's a lot of people involved. You know, then we'll sit down, uh, you know, with special effects. We'll sit down with uh, Spiro, the second unit director, the stunt coordinator. We'll start plotting out, you know, how we're going to accomplish all these various uh, sequences and effects might say, hey, you know what, I need two cars that I have to rig for this one gag. Okay, so two cars are built just for him. They might be a little bit different than the cars that, you know, the stunt guys are driving down the road, depending on what that action is. And, uh, you know, and I have, I'm a pretty good judge if I, you know, look at that sequence and know where we're shooting it, and uh, I can usually have a good idea of how many cars we're going to need to make it to the end. And, you know, I always try to add on one or two just for, uh, you know, just to have a little cushion there. But, uh, yeah, that's, you know, probably one of the more important aspects of my job is just uh, planning on how many vehicles will be needed and never running out of vehicles. All right. This kind of led me to another question, which was about manufacturers and product placement. Right. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, a lot of films that we've talked about this, too. Like when you watch a lot of films, you see that, well, it's interesting. Everybody seems to be driving an Audi. Or everybody's got a Ford. Or James Bond always has an Aston Martin. Yeah, why is that? And of course, we know why because it's product placement. You know, they're 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 working, uh, you know, with some manufacturer and they're providing vehicles to the set, you know, for for the show. And I understand all that's happening, but there's such a huge mix in this in this uh, this franchise of t- different types of vehicles: import, domestic. There's just just all over the board, and, and old muscle cars and brand new import exotics and uh, just all kinds of stuff. So I was wondering, do manufacturers come in and say? Yeah, we'd like to have our, uh, you know, our Ford Focus in this scene. What is it going to take to make that happen? And and he said that's actually handled just a little bit differently than what I thought. You know, that's really that's really handled on a on a different level. You know, that's done, you know, over at Universal Studios. But uh, you know, in the case with this one, you know, we have a great we have a great partnership with Dodge, and it's a perfect fit because you know, obviously Dom's a Dom's a Mopar guy, and and it does help. It it, it helps make these things happen because. Uh, they will give us, I mean, for instance, uh, Letty's Challenger in the second act, I think they supplied us with eight, you know, brand new Challengers. Um, Dom, which was a perfect fit was when he was in Abu Dhabi, you know, you always want to keep Dom in a Dodge Charger, and they gave us a brand new 2015, uh, it was basically a prototype car. They weren't even, they didn't have a, an actual one on the road yet. So, uh, it was great that they came through and actually built us two vehicles 
for that shot. And, uh, you know, once again, that also ties into Tej's Jeeps. It ties into, uh, you know, ties into Maserati, ties into a lot of other, you know, companies that are, you know, with Fiat. So, uh, yeah, all that stuff helps. And, you know, the one thing we would never do is compromise, uh, you know, the story or the visual on screen for a product placement deal. But, like I said, with Dodge, it's always been a, you know, just a perfect, perfect mix and a perfect fit. That's a good idea. They play off that, uh, that brand favoritism. Yeah, okay. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I said, he's, he's definitely a Mopar guy. So it, uh, it all works. Uh, speaking of Mopar guys, apparently Dennis is a Mopar guy as well because uh-huh. he was recently at the SEMA show in Las Vegas mm-hmm. and he happened to cross a vehicle called the Maximus Charger. Now the Maximus Charger is a big deal. It's a, Million dollar car, but its uh, bite is even bigger than its bark, right? It's got 2,000 horsepower, I believe. Yeah, 2,000 horsepower. Now, this is a, uh, I want to say that it's a, yeah, it's a 1968 Dodge Charger. It's got huge wheels on it, of course. I mean, but 2,000 horsepower. And when he saw it at the, uh, you know, at the show, on the show floor, he said he just stopped dead in his tracks and said, that's definitely a car for Dom. But, uh, and so I asked him, will the Maximus Charger make an appearance in Furious 7? Here's what he had to say. It sure does. As I saw that car at SEMA, and it was really before this script was even written, and, and I was like, man, that is absolute. That, that car just said Dom all over it to me. You know, it was just one of the coolest charges I'd ever seen. And, uh, you know, luckily as the script changed and developed, uh, there was an opportunity to bring that car into the film, and, you know, I gave those guys a call. I talked with uh, Tom Nelson, who I know, who was a builder, and uh, the car wasn't completed, but they totally accelerated their, uh, you know, their build timeline for us. To get that car out there, they literally completed that car, uh, you know, an hour and a half before it had to work on the first day. So, uh, you know, like I said, appreciate those guys coming through for us. And as far as the car goes in the movie, I, I haven't seen it, but I know it's going to be be absolutely perfect. So, now, isn't that funny? He hasn't he hasn't seen the full movie yet. Right, he hasn't yeah. seen the scene where the Maximus Charger um, actually appears. And you know, just to be upfront, you and I haven't seen the movie yet either, but we've watched clips. Right, yeah, we we were lucky enough to uh, check out some clips of it. We have not seen the full thing, but I'll probably be in line with everybody else uh, later tonight. Actually, as you're hearing this, yeah, 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 for the midnight showing, it's an, uh, it looks amazing. I mean, this film it goes over and above anything else you've ever seen mm-hmm. so far from this franchise, and I, I just love the stunts. I mean, we're not giving anything away away to say that they're dropping vehicles out of transport planes. Right? Uh, there's off roading scenes. Oh yeah, there's scenes where a car jumps between buildings or through a building. Uh, 80 stories up. Uh, it's it's amazing the the adrenaline that, that you're going to experience at this show. Now, with Dennis being an expert, there's a there's a question that we always want to ask a, an expert when we talk to them, and that 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 question that that you had asked him, Scott, was uh, more about what he drives, right? Yeah. You know, I have a I have a bunch of kids, so I have a suburban, and then I have a, a Cadillac CTSV four door six speed that I that I like driving. I'm uh, trying to talk Dodge into building a uh, manual manual trans version of their new uh, Hellcat Charger because that'll be my that'll be my next car. Uh, so okay, so he's uh, he's looking at a Hellcat, but uh, he drives what I would call um, I'm going to just say ordinary cars, and it's not I, mean, I know there's nothing ordinary about a, a Cadillac CTSV six speed. I understand that, but but uh, I was kind of expecting Ben, and here we had an early bet on this because I said yeah. I told you I was going to ask him this question, <laughs> and my guess was he was either going to say a Ford F one fifty or he's going to say something like a Volvo station wagon. And neither of us won the bet. Yeah, we didn't. I mean, I just thought you know I I kind of felt like he was going to have something sort of plain to get around in town, uh, you know, with. But uh, 
you know, here's a guy, he's got just about any car that he wants at his disposal. They can fabricate anything, really, and they can replicate any car in the world they want to, really. And um, I asked him, okay, so, you know, that's your daily driver. I understand that. But what do you have for a weekend toy car? Yeah, I have a 65 Chevelle, which is basically, a, you know, something that's a recreation of what I drove in high school. So it's uh, it's here right now. It's, uh, you know, that's my that's my favorite weekend car. But, uh, you know, like I said, my taste seems to change, you know, year to year, and I've always got something different. Uh, but, uh, like I said, I think I have over 25 cars, you know, sitting around here that I can choose from. So, you know, it varies on where I'm headed and what I, what I feel like driving. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So that answer is the one that I, I expected, you know, because you've got the you've got the one for the kids you mentioned specifically, but of course also uh, everybody's got their their the special car, right? The oh you, yeah, definitely. You baby, you take it out on the weekends. Yeah, but I mean, he says he's got like twenty five cars sitting around that he can just choose from. I mean, he can yeah. do he can get anything anything that's in his shop. Right. And they're all these real high horsepower cars, really something amazing, all of them. But he chooses to drive around town in that Suburban, that Cadillac. And then he does have that fun toy, that 65 Chevelle. And again, how cool is that to be able to recreate the car that you had in high school? Yeah, that's a cool story for sure. Yeah. And so we also asked him, 
uh, where do these cars go after the movie is wrapped? We talked about that earlier, right? And uh, we had a couple of follow-up questions on that too, right, Scott? Yeah, we did. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, you know, it's basically what we do is at the end of the movie, there's obviously not not as many left as we would like or as, you know, publicity would like. But we uh, try to save anything we can, and maybe we'll take three cars and build one car. Um, you know, try to get as many because there's such a, there's such high demand. I mean, right now we have cars, you know, in several different countries or in route to different events. Uh, you know, people are calling for them constantly, mm-hmm. so we never really have enough afterwards. But uh, yeah, they just kind of stay with Universal, and they're just used for whatever events they, you know, they deem are uh, you know a great cause. So. The cars that are crashed or destroyed beyond repair, those ones just end up getting crushed. Um, you know, they really never end up in the public hands, since, you know, for quite some time now. There was, you know, some of the earlier films, some of the cars, you know, did get sold to picture car companies and did end up, you know, in auctions and whatnot. But uh, I think now, you know, Universal just likes to hang on to them because they realize that, you know what, they just always come in handy at a later date. Yeah, and uh, for some of us, that's that's a shame to hear that you don't have a very good chance of getting one of the vehicles that was actually in the film, you know. Mm-hmm. But it but it makes sense, and um, again, that's that's something that you have to have kind of a behind the scenes perspective to get, which leads us to another exciting question, uh, which which you had asked him, and, and you had thought of this already. Uh, he works with these actors closely, right? Sure. Like he meets them. He knows them. Uh, so, I'm sure he explains the car to them, explains what it does, like how to drive it, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even walks them through it a little bit. I know that stunt coordinators do a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, aside from the stunt coordinator, uh, they're talking to him about the vehicles. And, you know, if they have an interest in it, they'll ask him, you know, specific questions about it, you know, because some of them do. Some of them are real, true gearheads in yeah. real life. Uh, so, yeah, I was, I was asking, like, does anybody just have a natural talent for driving is there anybody on set that just seems to get it uh vin diesel definitely does great with the car i mean like i said they don't let these guys drive as much as they want to you know there's a whole stunt unit that's doing most of that stuff but uh yeah he'll get in the car every chance he gets um paul walker obviously was you know very well known for being a you know a great driver he spent a lot of time on the weekends you know up at Bethan willow or willow springs or various different racetracks you know, a true uh, car enthusiast. Uh, I saw Michelle Rodriguez driving out at Race Wars on this one, and she definitely doesn't hold back at all and is, you know, ready to, you know, go full throttle in her uh, in her Cuda. So, uh, yeah, and as far as Tyrese and, uh, you know, character Tej, uh, you know, I haven't really seen them, you know, behind the wheel. Uh, not to say that they can't handle it, but uh, I think after as many years as a lot of these cast members have been on the film, you know, I think if they didn't have the natural ability, they're they're definitely getting it. Uh, Statham definitely seemed to be a, a huge car enthusiast as well. Uh, very interested in what he was driving. Um, you know, which, like I said, it, it makes it more fun. It's fun when the cast members are, you know, actually care about the car and want to hear about it or get behind the wheel and really push it to its limits. All right. So, uh, you know, when they get excited about the product, we're talking about the cars that are driving. Of course, they're going to be excited to drive these things. I mean, they're, they're amazing machines that he puts together. Mm-hmm. And here's maybe a little known fact. You know, it's, I feel like Cliff Clavin when I say that. Here's a, <laughs> here's a little known fact about the cars that he builds for this franchise. And I found this so fascinating when I, I just came across this somewhere, but he, he builds cars with a standard powertrain, with a, a standardized platform that he builds all of the, uh, the, 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 uh, the star cars, I guess, with. Right. Yeah, and there's a good, a very good reason for this. So, I, so I asked him to talk just a little bit about that, about that standardized powertrain that he uses in all of these builds. 
basically, any time we can uh, you know replicate the same as many components as possible in a picture car, it's just a big help on set. So, you know, if we're out there and we wreck a car, well, that car still has a you know motor and trans we can put back into this car. If our suspension component is interchangeable, or the brake master cylinder, the brake calipers, anything like that, anything they can do that will standardize it is a uh, is a huge advantage for us. You know, and they they're basically you know 500 horsepower, you know, late model fuel injected motors. Uh, you know, we use the same three speed. It's basically a, a manual tr- shift transfer without a clutch. Uh, I use the same you know four nine inch differentials. Uh, same gear ratios, same axles, blind counts, you know, you know, like I said, everything I can do to uh, just make maintenance easier. Uh, the guys are completely familiar with it, and it's a lot less spare parts to haul around. What a brilliant move that was, huh? I mean, to yeah. standardize the powertrain, that's a great thought because imagine if you had all those different cars there, and they all require a different engine. They all require a different transmission, right. axles, and, you know, brake calipers and all that. He has he has simplified the whole thing to the point where if any car needs a part, you can just take it off of a car that's not being used at that moment and make it work. It's 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 a again, it's a brilliant move. Uh yes, and it's also a brilliant move time wise because time is gonna be the ultimate enemy for anybody working on a production. Oh sure. And and by the way, five hundred horsepower crate motors in all of these star cars? Yeah. That's incredible. And I saw somewhere else, another interview somewhere, that he was asked why five hundred horsepower? Why is that the, the target? And he said, Well, four hundred's not enough, and I think five hundred is just enough to get it there. So yeah. all these cars for whatever they're asking them to do, five hundred horsepower seems to be about what they need in order to make it, you know, exciting and look you know, look the way it does on film. So yeah. um you know, with all of that, you know, it's, it's knowing that he creates these custom you know standardized powers you know powertrains for all these star cars i was wondering about um the fabrication does he you know does does he still rely on the old junkyard cars you know that he finds that he drags out of you know the desert somewhere Mm -hmm. or is it that uh you know he's just now building the cars straight from the ground up no we definitely have to visit junkyards which are you know by the way one of my favorite places to go to but uh you know but uh it's we always have to find that that shell that starting point um, you know, whatever it may be. So, yeah, junkyards are a little, a little trickier nowadays because most of that stuff's long gone. But you know, we'll uh, we got some sources. You know, out of the Mojave Desert, some guys that have you know big collections of stuff that don't have a big website where everybody comes and, and takes it all. So, uh, yeah, and that's that's always fun to go out and you know track the stuff down, which is one of the more challenging parts of the job is actually finding the stuff because you know we need so many quantities of it. You know, if you see one Cuda, that means that we probably built eight or nine Cudas to represent that one vehicle. So it's uh it's a bit of a task trying to uh track them all down within uh you know a very short time frame. But of course, not all of these cars are tracked down and fabricated. Oh, yeah. Uh some some are uh specifically targeted and then pulls them out. We had a we had a question about a very special car. Yeah, so they had they were tasked with finding a car that, that that met a very specific need. And if you remember early on in this interview, when we talked to him, he said there were four factors that were involved here. Um, you know, there's, there's character, there's environment, situation, script. And in all of those cases, you know, all those, uh, all those factors combined, there's this one character in this film that uh, is ultra wealthy and they're trying to choose a vehicle specifically for that character. And uh, boy, they made an unusual choice in this case, didn't they? Ben? Yes, sir. The Lycan, Hypersport. This is just a little bit of background. This is from a company named W Motors out of Lebanon and Dubai. Yeah, Lebanon. This is a Lebanese 
supercar. The and, first, uh, not only Lebanese, but the first uh, Arab supercar. Yeah, the first Middle East supercar. And, and of course, it's a perfect choice for this, but uh, there's, a, there's a story about how he chose this. So let's hear that. Basically, this is a car that this person has who has, you know, money is absolutely no object. You know, he's in Abu Dhabi. He has a penthouse suite, and he has this one car that he's put in his vault. And, you know, this is a guy that would drive, a, you know, a Bugatti or a Lamborghini, you know, through a McDonald's drive-thru. So it has to be something that's not just about the money. So the fact that that's the first, you know, basically Middle East built supercar um, is, is pretty significant. Um, the fact that they only, they're only building seven of them, uh, and this the one in the film is portrayed as the number one car, you know, so it just kind of fit. Uh, you know, the only car that was going through my mind when I read the script was a LaFerrari because I thought that's a car that, you know, it's going to be made in limited numbers. It's very expensive, but even beyond the money, it, the purchase has to be approved by Ferrari. And this was unobtainable to me at the time. So, uh, you know, I, I really can't think of a better car to put, you know, in that scene than that Lycan Hypersport because it just uh, it just makes sense. Yeah, it uh, it really does. I mean, it does make perfect sense to use that. And how cool to be able to have access to one of the seven. And then you built five replicas, correct? Basically, what we had is we had six cars on, on set that were all built by W Motors. So what I did is I flew out there initially to their uh, their design facility. It was actually in Italy. So I flew out there. We had a meeting. And you know, I said, you know, your car is perfect for the movie. It's It, it fits the story better than anything else, anything else out there. And... At that moment, they didn't even have their first car completed yet, um, but they really put their basically put their production on hold, and they they put together you know six of these movie I'll call them movie cars because they're not really replicas because they actually are they're, they're built by the, the, the same company, but uh, they're just uh, you know a less expensive version. So it's uh, fiberglass instead of carbon fiber. The platform was instead of being you know a, a you know eight hundred horsepower Porsche. You know, race car. It was a uh, a Porsche Boxer that we just stretched the wheelbase, and you know they built us uh, copies of the wheels, and you know the paint and finish was done you know in house by these guys. So it's you know probably very similar to the quality you get on the actual car. Um, and it, you know, in the end, when you put the real car next to the the movie version, you know it's really just the uh, brake rotors and the calipers that uh, would give it away. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to be mindful of your time here and let you go, Dennis, but I just wanted to tell you that you're doing a fantastic job, an amazing job pairing these vehicles with the characters, and the films are just incredible. Uh, I'm real excited to see this film. I've watched the trailers. looks pretty exciting from start to finish, and uh, I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to you know to speak with us this afternoon. I, I really, really appreciate it. Oh, no, no problem at all, man. No, thank, thank you for the call. So now, Scott, uh, after, after hearing all these facts about this, uh, th- this film, I got to go. I have to go check it out. Oh yeah. And to know that, you know, like, to know all the other stuff that goes on behind the scenes, like, mm-hmm. you know, what, what a, per- a picture car coordinator does and, you know, Dennis's job and know that he's choosing even the stuff in the background. That's a block away that you can kind of distantly see in the, in the, in the shots. I mean, it's all fascinating. I, I really do think his job is, is intriguing. I know mm-hmm. that there's gotta be a lot of stress, like we said, involved with this, that, um, um, you know, I'm sure the time constraints are just ridiculous, but what a cool thing to be able to do also, you know, to, to be able to fabricate cars, be able to travel to Italy to talk with, uh, you know, the Lycan design team and, oh, yeah. and have them design cars that are like a less expensive version of their three and a half million dollar car. <laughs> uh, oh, by the way, we need six of them. Uh, that's amazing. It, it, what a fun job this would be, uh, you know, at times. Other times it'd be very, very stressful. But but man, I think a lot of people would definitely trade their uh, their desk job for something like this. 
All right, and we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed doing it. We'd like to uh, thank Dennis for the opportunity coming on our show here. And uh, I don't know, man. Next thing I'm going to do, honestly, is is leave here and get in line uh, for the tickets. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's it's coming up tomorrow, so uh, you know, if you don't catch the midnight show tonight, mm-hmm. definitely go out tomorrow or over the weekend and watch it. Um, it's it's exciting. I mean, I, I've watched all the trailers. Like I said, you know, I mentioned to Dennis that uh, you know they all look uh, like just adrenaline. I mean, it, it really does. It, it, they've, they've gone over and above with the stunts in this film. Yes, and let us know what you think about it. You guys know we're huge uh, film fans as well as car fans, so we're always on the lookout for something like this. Uh, in the meantime, while you're waiting to check out Furious 7, you can visit carstuffshow.com for a copy of every single podcast we've ever done. Uh, and you can write to us on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know what you think about this. Let us know what you would like to have covered in an upcoming episode. If you don't like the whole social media rigmarole, I get it. I, I personally get it. So uh, we have a different way for us to get, be contacted. You can reach out to us directly at our email address. We are carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fairs. Discover more at Viking.com. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.